Bible study, everybody. Glad you're here. I'm going to take a few moments and pray. Ask God's blessing on our time. And then we'll get on with the Bible study. So let's pray. Father, thanks for uh, just loving us tonight. We thank you that uh, your care is bigger. Your love is bigger than we could ever know. And I just ask that you would speak to us tonight. I pray that we'd have ears to hear. And I ask you that we would just draw close to you as our Father. And that we would hear you as one who has our best interests in mind and wants the best for us and wants to see us succeed. So I pray that we'd hear you tonight because uh, we want to succeed. We want to have your best for our lives. And so we ask God that as you speak tonight, we just be wide open, ready to receive, ready to hear, ready to apply, ready to take hold of what you're saying. God, I pray tonight specifically for ideas that may be difficult for us to grab hold of, that you'd help us with that. And I pray that we would just be open to what you want to say and and that you'd help us to really take hold of some of these concepts, some of these ideas that maybe we're going to come out tonight. So we ask for your help. We pray, God, for your blessing on our time. And I pray, God, we'd respond to you if we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Reminder uh, for our podcast listeners that we have an interactive feature with Bible study, and that is through a website at www.speakpipe.com. That's S P E A K P I P E dot com slash Monday Night Bible Study, all one word. You go there to that webpage, and there's a button that you can toggle, and you can leave us what would appear to be a voicemail. And we'd love to hear from you. could be just saying hi, or maybe you have a question about Bible study, or maybe you have a comment, or you just want to tell us where you're from. But we'd love to hear from you. could be something good God's doing in your life. So drop us a line, uh, leave us a message, and we'll endeavor to play that at our next Bible study. We have a speak pipe tonight uh, message from a listener, so I was going to play that. Comes to us from Thailand. Hi, Andy. Thank you so much for the presentation of this movie. I'm Joe. Hi, Andy. I am here. Thank you so much for making Bible study. I've been listening to podcasts for about four months already. I miss you, Miss Mata, Miss Cameron, Miss Mary, everybody. Hi, Cameron. All right. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Joy and me and Kaylin, uh, for sending us a message, and thanks for listening. Glad you're able to do that there in Bangkok, and uh, yeah, great to hear from you. If you have your Bibles, let's open to First Peter, First Peter, chapter four.
we were streaming the conference uh, Friday and or excuse me Saturday and Sunday. And at some point on Saturday, how many people did we have according to the statistics? Yeah. Interactions with our feet. Well, no, no. There was there was a hundred and sixty six viewers. Viewers, sorry. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting because I think our maximum viewers have been seven uh, in the past. So I don't know what happened, but uh, somebody tuned in. But uh, thought that was uh, interesting. First, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So first Peter four six. First Peter four six, so I can read that. Alright, thanks for reading that. Uh this is a one of those passages that's kind of difficult. And one reason it's difficult is because the translators, when they first translated this passage, expanded on it a little bit. It's one of the passages in the Bible. It happens every now and then where a difficult reading, a difficult passage is expanded upon for theological reasons. In other words, there's a doctrinal reason why the translators wanted us to understand it a certain way. And so once it was translated in that way, it's uh, been carried on in similar fashion through other translations. And so in the different versions that we have, it comes out, depending on the version you're reading, in different ways because there may be what you might refer to as a bias, I guess. I don't know that it's a true bias, but it uh, definitely uh, has something to do with the way that people want us to understand. Uh, obviously, the Bible isn't translated word for word. In other words, if you've ever read an interlinear Bible, it's one that's translated word for word, the words are out of order. Uh, they're not, because people, when they write Greek, Greek isn't written in the same order that English is. Hebrew is even less so. And so the translators get whatever they consider to be the idea behind what's being said, and then they put that into language that people can understand. And that's how things are translated. It's it's really an interpretation, many times more than it is a translation. And so it's so it's not in line. It's not word for word in any version that you read, unless you're reading an interlinear version, which is difficult to read and it's difficult to get an understanding out of it. So uh, this is one of those passages, and it's not. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. I'm just pointing it out because. Uh, the way it's written, it has certain connotations to it that we may or may not believe doctrinally or theologically, that you may or may not believe doctrinally or theologically, and that's okay. It's, uh, it's just that the way that it's written is for a specific purpose. It's for a specific reason. And so I'm, when I'm going to teach on this, I'm really going to kind of remove us out of that uh, if you read any type of commentary on this, uh, people bend over backwards try to make it mean whatever they want it to mean. Uh, I don't really care what it means necessarily in the sense of the details of it. I don't really care what it means in the sense of 
or the theological implications of it or the doctrinal implications of it. I'm not here to establish any doctrine. I'm not here to establish any theology. But I do want to talk about just what it's saying in the sense of what it points out. Because there's other scriptures that point out the same things. There's other scriptures that say the same things in the sense that I'm going to use it. And so I feel fairly confident in looking at it from that perspective because we've got other places in the Bible that say similar things or that point to similar things or that describe similar things as what's being described here. And so I feel confident that if we look at it from that perspective, we're looking at something that's a truth that God has for us, something that He has for us to learn from it. And it's something that I feel comfortable and confident teaching on in that I believe it's something that we can use. It's something that we can actually take hold of and actually apply and and think about in our own lives. Now, one thing that he talks about in this verse in, in 1 Peter 4, 6, he carries us back to 1 Peter 3.19. Somebody want to read 1 Peter 3.19? Okay, thanks for reading that. So there's two things that are brought up there. One is Jesus and and this whole idea that Jesus went and preached the gospel to those that had died, that were imprisoned. In other words, there are people in hell. And so that's part of the Apostles' Creed, if you know what the Apostles' Creed is, but that's all part of that. I think it's Apostles' Creed. Apostles' Creed, yeah. And, and so that's part of that. And it's mentioned here in, in 1 Peter uh, chapter 3 and verse 19. And, and so in that, there's two things. One, that Jesus went and he preached to those that had already died and that were in hell. And then the second part of that is that brings in the idea of and brings in the picture of Noah and the days of Noah and brings into the discussion that time frame and that and what was happening during that time. Now, most of us understand, we kind of remember, uh, if it wasn't recently, it's from Sunday school sometime or some point in our lives where we heard the story of Noah. And that's from Genesis chapter 6. At least the beginning of it is. And just to refresh a little bit with the story of Noah, what was going on is that for whatever the generations that had come after Adam and Eve, there, there were generations that had come. And if you read the Bible during that time, it says people were living a really long time. Six, seven, eight, nine hundred years people were living. And, and they were having generation after generation. Uh, if you think about that, you think about, and we don't think this way because we don't live this way, but how many generations would one person see if they lived to be 900 years old? How many grandkids? How many great-grandkids? How many great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great? How many generations were being seen, were being known? And and you think about the the sons of Adam. You think about Seth, for example. How old and how long did Seth live and into what generation did he live into? In other words, who did he see and who saw him during their lifetime? As you go down that whole list of people to Noah. 
And so we don't really have a good concept of how much time passes because of that, because of all these generations of people living so long. It's like all these years were passing and passing and passing from the times of Adam until you come to the time of Noah. But what we do know is that something happened during that time where the Bible describes it as, and it's, it's not described in a lot of detail, but it's described as that the thoughts of people were evil all the time. So in other words, and it's all-inclusive statements. It's like all the thoughts of all the people were evil all the time. And you get those kind of statements. And what that kind of a statement says to us is that there was something really, really wrong. Like we think things are bad now. They were really bad. I mean, it was really bad then, like more bad than what it is now. And, and understand that. Understand that there were certain things that were going on during that time where there was a mixing of the, the spirits like the angels and humans were mixing together. And there were aberration of, of human beings being mixed with angels and giants being produced. And that's all being described in the Bible and all this. And so there's really weird things that are happening. And in other places in the scriptures, that's referred to as the ancient world. And we don't really have a lot of information on the ancient world. I just find it interesting that, you know, and, I, and I've been reading a lot more about this and, and different people's ideas about it, but the ancient world could have been thousands and thousands of years. It could have been a long time. And we know that, that certain things, they had certain ways of doing things. They had certain uh, types of technology during that time. Maybe not technology like we have, but they had certain types of technology. They had tools that they could use. They had things that they could build. They were building cities. They were doing all kinds of things during that time. So we really don't know all of the things and all of the advances and all of the things that the ancient world offered. We have no idea. All we know is that whatever took place during that time, whatever messed up, really, really, really messed up things that were happening during that time. The thoughts of everybody were evil all the time. That's what we know. And so without going into a lot of detail in that, the Bible just tells us that it was just that bad. And so what God did was He took a family. He took Noah. And He put Noah into the ark with his family, he preserved two of every species, like normal animal species, and that was it. And we started over. That's how bad it was. So whatever you want to believe about that, you believe it. I know what I believe about that. And, and I, I'm pretty sure I understand the idea behind that. The idea behind it was that things were so messed up that it needed to be started over again. That's what it was. Started over with man, and things need to be started over with animals, for whatever reason. And so everything got destroyed, and everything began again. It was a catastrophe. It was an utter catastrophe that God brought on the face of the earth. And in that word that's used for that catastrophe is the same word we use for judgment. That's what it is. Right? And so the, the days of Noah 
And understanding the days of Noah is to understand and so what, what God is speaking of in the New Testament when he begins to speak of the idea of judgment. It's not, and, and you can think of it any way you want, but the root word of that is utter catastrophe. That's what that is. And so what we have happening here is that in 1 Peter 3.19, and this is where 1 Peter 4.6 is referring back to, you see two things going on there. You see what's happening. You see Jesus crossing a line. And the line that he crosses is that he goes from the living, the land of the living, as a human being. And he dies. And he goes to hell. He crosses the line. And he preaches to those that were in hell. And so you see a mingling there of two worlds that up until that point didn't have a lot to do with each other. And especially in people's minds. Then philosophically, those worlds were not connected. You had the world of the living, you had the world of the dead, and that was it. But you got a hint of this when Jesus died on the cross. Have you ever read that? I'm gonna, I'll read it later. But you kind of get a hint of this, is that there's going to be a crossing of these worlds when Jesus died on the cross. What was the crossing of the world? It says, well, when he died, what happened in Jerusalem? Do you remember? Right. So people were seeing dead people walking around that had been dead. They were out of the tombs. So what happened was Jesus died, but then dead people came alive. Came alive. Now, I'm not trying to establish any kind of doctrine with that or any kind of theology with that. What I want you to understand from that, and this is where I'm going with this, is that a line was crossed. You get it? He died, they lived. How? I don't know. But a line was crossed. Jesus died, went down into hell, preached to people down there. A line was crossed through that. There was a line that, that, there was, that he crossed when he did that. Why did he do that? I don't know. I'm not trying to answer that question. All I'm saying is, is that it, that's what happened. And so what I'm trying to get to here is that there is something that God is teaching us, which I believe is teaching us in the New Testament, that the lines that have been established in our minds, and those lines were established, many of them, through Greek philosophy. In other words, in the world of the Greek, there was, there was a distinction. There was this and then there was this. But those two things didn't mix. Well, in the eyes of God and in the ways of God, those things do mix. How do you know that? Well, who was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Well, he's the God of the living. He's not the God of the dead. Well, where was Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Well, they'd been buried a long time ago, but then, but they're described as living. They're the God of the living. He's the God of the living. So Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are alive. Where? Well, wherever they went. They weren't alive on the earth anymore, but they were alive where it is they're being described as. And so there was a crossing of a line that took place there, but that understanding was a basic understanding of the people of God. In other words, they identified themselves with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but every time they said that, they were saying he's the God of the living. Where's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Been buried a long time, but they're alive. And so it begs a question as to how we're going to see things, how you're going to choose to see things, how I'm going to choose to see things. 
Because that's an important question in the way that we're going to understand the world. We're going to understand the way that God has made things and how he's made us and what he expects of us and how he sees us and how he expects us to see the world that we live in. And I think there's something really important about that as his people that we begin to take hold of not a perspective that what was handed down from some other philosophy, but really begin to take a perspective that belongs to God. And it belongs to his people. If we're going to be his people, we need to take hold of the perspective he gives us, that he lays out for us. And he says, this is what I have for you. This is, this is the way I want you to see things. And I've been talking about this. I've been railing on this for weeks. To be transformed by the renewing of our minds. How? By being no longer conformed to the pattern of this world. The pattern of this world will tell you that A, B, and C, man, I'll tell you there's a distinction here, here, and here, and that's what we believe. Well, we're not to be conformed to that pattern anymore. But we're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. In other words, we're to think about it differently. We're to see it differently. We're to experience it differently. And if we're going to do that, if we're going to think about it differently, we're going to experience it differently, we're going to take hold of things differently, well, we need to get a hold of what God says. He get a hold of his perspective. And so we see some of that being laid out here. So in 1 Peter 4, 6, literally it says this, For for this end was the gospel preached to dead men also. Which explains further the purpose of Jesus descending into hell that we just read. For for this end was the gospel preached to dead men also, that Jesus descended into hell. That's the simplest conclusion. The simplest conclusion is that those who were being preached to were dead at that time. Now, people want to make this mean something else. They want to try to make it mean, oh, they're talking about spiritually dead people. That's not what it says. They're talking about you know people that are dead in their sins. That's not what it says. They're talking about people that don't know Jesus. Well... That's not what it says. The simplest conclusion from this passage is that he literally was preaching to people that were dead at the time he was preaching to them. And the reason people will bend over backwards try to make it mean something else is because they, they can't somehow put that together in their mind. Well, how many things in the Bible are, are beyond you know, what our experience level is? Lots. How many things in the Bible are beyond things that we've understood prior to reading the Bible? Lots. How many things in the Bible are, are contradictory to the way that we were brought up or the way that we were told things were? Lots. I mean, even the simple stuff that Jesus said is contradictory to the way that we were raised. Somebody slaps you in the cheek, punch them right in the face. No, turn the other cheek. If somebody steals your coat, hit them and get it back. No, give them your shirt too. If someone compels you to walk a mile with them, beat them when you get around the corner so you don't have to walk anymore. No, no, go an extra mile. You see, even the simplest things that he says, and I know I'm making fun here, but you understand what I'm saying? Even the simplest things go against things, basic things that were taught even as children. So, you look at stuff and it's like, well, all right, the things that we're learning, the things that he's saying, the things that are, are difficult, well, let them be difficult. 
Let it be difficult. It's okay. Don't try to explain away everything that he says. To fit into your paradigm, into the way that you see the world, into your worldview. Don't explain away the things of Jesus just to fit what you think. And if something's hard and you don't understand it, it's okay to lay it down and not understand it. It's all right. Because there may come a day when you do understand it. And instead of coming to the wrong conclusion, instead of convincing yourself of something that doesn't make any sense in accordance with what it says or according to the gospel, let it go for a little while and see what God might do through that. See what God might say through that. Instead of trying to beat it into submission into whatever's in your head. There's a lot of things in the Bible that as I've read them, I've had to just lay them down. You know what my note was on this verse? I write notes. That's how I, I keep track of verses as I'm reading the Bible. I'll go through a passage and I'll write a note on it. And then it's those notes that generally begin to, to build an outline of what I'm going to teach. So whatever revelation I get while I'm reading through the Bible, and I was reading through this passage in 2017. All right? 2017 is where this note came from. And so I was, I was reading through here, and there's lots of notes throughout all these things, like just pages of notes on in different passages I'm reading. And what my note was on this passage, it said, huh. <laughs> that was it. It was three letters. That was my whole note. Because in 2017, whenever I read this, I looked at it, and I was like, huh. I had no thought on it whatsoever. I came to no conclusion. I didn't try to beat it into submission. I didn't try to make it into something that it wasn't. I didn't try to do anything with it. I was just like, I don't know, huh? Yeah. And I just laughed when I looked at it. You know, like I looked at it again. I was like, huh. I like, that's awesome. That is awesome. You know, just leaving it alone. Just leave it alone. It's okay. There's so many things that that you just got to leave alone for a little while and then see what God will do or see what God will say or see how God will bring about some kind of revelation on something over time. Maybe God will send somebody your way and speak some revelation into your life that will address that specifically at some point. I don't know. But instead of having it all figured out, you don't have to have it all figured out. You can have things that you just don't know and be okay with not knowing. And I hope you can hear that. I hope you can understand that. And I hope you can, can take hold of the rest that there is in that. It's like, I don't know. Okay. It's better to just realize you don't know than make something up. When people start making stuff up, it just leads to bad, bad things. Bad things. And there's no reason to do it. Unless you've got some kind of major pride issue that you got to know everything, you can just let things go and not know. I, I, I wouldn't imagine that most of us here would have that kind of a pride issue. I hope not. I mean, nobody even knows what you don't know, right? Unless you open your mouth and tell them. I mean... I mean, how many people here knew I wrote the word huh after this verse in my notes? Nobody. Why? Because I didn't talk about it. It's none of your business, all right? So it's your business. And that's okay. 
And, and so, if we can lay that down and lay down the need, the need to have an explanation for everything, have an answer for everything, be able to say whatever everything says or means or whatever, we can leave an open-ended question and let God answer that over time. And I think there's something really powerful about that. And so, as I said before, the word judge is a word with different meanings. And, and as I said, this word judge here in this passage has to do with, it's the same judgment as in the days of Noah. It's a great crisis. It's a worldwide catastrophe. And so what Jesus is doing, and to me the best take on this that I have right now, tonight, is that what Jesus is doing is He is joining the physical and the spiritual. And there's a mingling of worlds that takes place here. Because I really believe that's how God operates. I don't think that the barriers between the spiritual and the physical are as big as we think they are. Or we've been told they are. I don't believe that. I don't believe the barriers between the physical and the spiritual are really that that steady or that strong. I think those barriers are a lot thinner if they exist at all than we think. It's been my experience that things in the spirit and things in the physical world coexist nicely. And if you think about it, they coexist in you. And this is why I wonder sometimes how we have such a hard time with this. You get Christ in you. Christ in you. We believe that as Christians. Jesus is in you. Where? In your spleen? Where is He? Well, there's a spiritual world. And there's a spiritual world inside of you. There's a spiritual place that Jesus resides. Jesus in you. Christ in you. You believe the Holy Spirit's in you. Where? Well, we exist in, in the spiritual realm, in a spiritual world, and He exists in you. And so we have this, this, all right, well, I believe the Holy Spirit indwells me. Right. So there's a coexistence of the physical and the spiritual in you right now. Jesus lives in you. We say, well, He lives in my heart. Okay, He lives in your heart. In your left ventricle? Or is there something spiritual about that? Right, there's something spiritual about that. And so the spiritual realm and the physical realm coexist in you and in me. <coughs> Why is it difficult to believe that same kind of a joining is in this room or in this building? or in this neighborhood, or in this city, state, <coughs> or in the United States. Why? It's something that we know exists inside of us. So this mingling of worlds, and I believe that's what Jesus is doing, He's tearing down the barriers. Because somehow, they were going to need to believe that Jesus indwells them. 
But if you look at it from the other side of it, if you can't believe that the barriers have been torn down between the spiritual and the physical, how can you believe that Jesus indwells you? And so these barriers, if we're going to believe it, were torn down at Jesus' death and resurrection. He died to send into hell. He preached to people there. And then he rose again from the dead. And so there was death, which that was the last enemy. He conquered that. And in conquering that, in all that he did in between the time that he died and when he rose again, I mean, there's three days in there, he broke down the barriers that separated us from the reality of the spiritual realm that God has for us to dwell in. And so in the Bible, it talks about, okay, you'll be transformed in the twinkling of an eye. How? Well, because it's already there. You're just going to see it differently. You're going to understand it differently. Jesus, when he was resurrected, he had what we call a glorified body. <coughs> I don't even know what that means. It means that he was able to change his appearance in some ways because the disciples on the road to Emmaus couldn't recognize him. All right. But he still ate and he drank. And he was still able to show Thomas his hands and his side where he was pierced to prove that he was Jesus, that he had died and been crucified. So even in what we refer to as the glorified body, there's a mingling. Do you understand me? There's a mingling of a spirit, spiritual thing, but also the physical marks of his death were in that. So there's a physical and spiritual point of that. And so, whatever happened, now whatever happened after he died, until he rose again, and after he rose again, broke down the barriers that we had preconceived in our head about the way things work. But we need to allow for that to happen. Because I want to live spiritually. I want to live as a spiritual person. But in order to do that, I've got to recognize that I live in a spiritual place. But if all I can ever see is the physical, it's hard to recognize that I'm living in a spiritual place. And so something has to change in my mind. Something has to change in the way that I'm seeing things if I'm truly going to enter into the spiritual life that God has for me. And I hope you can understand without getting into theology about why Jesus was there and all the rest of that kind of stuff and what he said or whatever. I don't care about that. What, what I'm looking at here is that that barrier, that line was crossed. It got crossed. And because it got crossed, it shows us that maybe there's no real line at all. It just is. There's spiritual and there's physical, but we're all in the same place. 
Now, to this end, this passage says, to this end, what end? To these barriers being torn down, this was done. Let's look up some verses. Okay, I, some I've already touched on. Matthew twenty-two thirty-two. So I looked at them. I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. All right, and that was Jesus talking about how Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob talking about the resurrection. In other words, that they're alive. And that was Jesus proving that they're alive. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Of course, we think of them as being dead, right? Well, so did the Sadducees. I mean, we're good Sadducees in that sense. Well, they're dead. Nope. Jesus is proclaiming that they're alive. So if we're seeing them as dead, then we're good Sadducees. I don't want to be a good Sadducee at all. It's never been a goal in my life to be a good Sadducee. And I don't want to start now. And so what does that tell us, though, about those that have died? Don't be afraid. What does that tell us about those that have died? Don't be afraid of this. They're alive. Right. They're alive. Because we serve the God of the living, not of the dead. But that's the argument of Jesus here. And if you're not going to be a good Sadducee, then you're going to start seeing that these people, they pass and they're different now. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were different, but they were still alive. Somewhere. Somewhere they're still alive. And so we take hold of that truth. In other words, it's like we don't live like the rest of the world. We don't look at things like the rest of the world. We don't see things like the rest of the world. And that's what Jesus was trying to tell these people. It's like, that's not how it works. Here's how it works. These people are still alive. The dead are alive. Because we serve the God of the living. Now, that's important. But you have to let, let that become truth to you somehow. And I know I'm not, I'm not preaching at a funeral right now, and I, and I don't want you to hear this as a funeral, but I, I want you to think about this for a second. It's like we, we celebrate life when we have funerals. We don't, and, and I know people mourn because people die and all the rest of that kind of stuff, but I mean, we, we celebrate life because we're Christians. We, we've been taught by Jesus these people are still alive. That we'll miss them because we don't see them, but they're still alive. Okay. There's a bigger truth to all of this than I'm going to miss this person. That's a selfish truth, and it's a real truth, and I don't blame anybody. I've gone through plenty of death in my life. Okay? I have. And I, and I know I know what it is to miss somebody. But that's a selfish truth that we're going to miss them. You know what the truth, the bigger truth is? They're alive. They're alive. That's the bigger truth. And so that needs to be something that just gets deep in us somehow. Deep in us somehow. And I don't know how to explain it any other way. 
But it's got to get somehow deep in us so that so that we can take hold of that kind of a truth. I, I prayed with a woman on Saturday night who came up after the service and she asked me to pray for her because her dad was in hospice and says, you know, he needed to move on because he was in a lot of pain or whatever was going on in his life. And as I began to pray, I, I just, in my spirit, it was like, he's just going to pass on tonight. I just knew it. And so I just prayed, you know, kind of a simple prayer, but just for peace, for rest. And that's what I prayed, just rest. But I wasn't really praying it so much for him. I was praying it for the family. Right? And and so, and that was it. And so, at the end of the prayer, amen, she walked away. And I'm like, that guy's going to die tonight. And he did, I think. Did he die? Yeah, he died that night. So, um you know, and things like that will happen sometimes, but it's we're close. We're close to that. That's death. Well, that's life. It's spirit. It's physical, but it's spirit. And we're in the middle of all that, and we're in the midst of all that. And understanding that is to put yourself in a position to actually live in what God has made. Because He made the spiritual realm just as much as He made the physical realm. He made the physical realm just as much as He made the spiritual realm. What's more real? They're both real. But they're only real to us if we're going to pay attention. They're only real to us if we're going to let God change us by the renewing of our minds. They're only real to us if we're going to allow the work of Jesus to really take place where He took and He mingled those worlds like this so that we, we could enter into that and understand it. So, we had... The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. All right. How about somebody look at Luke twenty thirty-eight? What? What? To God all are alive? Well, okay, so that's his perspective. Whose perspective we want? Right. Right. You see how I'm not making this up, right? You follow me? I ain't making any of this up. To him all are alive. Right. Right. But that requires us to change our minds, doesn't it? Maybe. I mean, maybe you already believe that. Awesome. But most of us don't. We have to change our minds about that. How about uh, Mark twelve twenty seven? All right. (laughs) Take it to heart, people. (laughs) Take it to heart. You are badly mistaken if you don't believe that. If you don't believe that, you're badly mistaken. I didn't say that. Is that in red, Jeannie? I... Uh, see, 
I didn't say that. That's in red. You know, you know who said that? Jesus said that. That's right. Okay, another verse. Matthew 27. Matthew 27, verses 50 through 54. Yeah, how weird is that? Right? Isn't that weird? Yeah. Happened. It happened. It happened. And I want you to think about the idea of newness of life in us and what that means. Because it speaks to a, something different, right? We can, you know, we were born a certain way, we were taught a certain way, we lived a certain way, we had certain philosophies, certain ways of seeing things, but Jesus brings about a newness of life, meaning something different. Something different. Something spiritual. And it really calls into question the manner of man versus the manner of God. And the manner of man will take us to a certain place, but the manner of God are going to, is going to take us to Him. And so we need to get hold of His manner, His way of doing things, His way of seeing things, His way of understanding things. And when we read a passage like that, not to think in terms of a horror movie, but to think in terms of that is the mingling of, of the spirit and of the physical that we need to have in our lives. That's the mingling. And you can say what I'm talking about is mystical or whatever you want to say it is. To me, it's just Bible. To me, it's just the way God's made things. To me, it's just the way God has intended us to live. Yeah, I can remember, it, you know, all this stuff began to really take hold of me when it was early on in my Christianity and I was sitting around with my first intern. I was still at Fredonia uh, College. And I was sitting around talking to my first intern. And I'm like, what? There's a spiritual component to everything we look at. What if we could see that? And I mean, we were just talking, you know. And I'm like, what if you could see it like, like it's a whole other dimension or something? And you could see in it. Like it has an inner dimension that, that you can't physically see. Light doesn't reflect off of it. But there's something spiritual about it that you can see and you can see into what God is doing. And I know that sounds kind of weird, but I want you to think about that for a second to explore the possibility that we live in a spiritual world. And there's a bunch of physical stuff in it, but man, we, we live in a spiritual world. And to begin to experience that, 
I mean, really experience it. Really begin to see it, to hear it, to smell it, to touch it, to feel it. But it never is going to happen if you have no expectation for it. Never. If you've got no expectation for that to happen, even when your world, your spiritual and physical world gets mingled, you'll ignore it. If you have no expectation for it to happen, even when the spiritual reaches into your physical world, you'll think you're just hearing things. Or you think you're just seeing things. Or you ignore it and you think you're going crazy or something like that. But you'll miss it because you have no expectation for it to happen. And I want to encourage you to have an expectation for the mingling of the spiritual and the physical. Jesus went to a lot of trouble. A lot of trouble. A lot of trouble to make sure those worlds were mingled together. We need to experience that. Why don't you pray with me for a second? Heavenly Father, I... I ask you that you would uh, build in us an expectation to see and to hear and to feel and touch and smell. You build in us an expectation of actually dwelling as a spiritual being. The spiritual beings that you've created us to be. Because I thank you that we're going to live forever. And we need to live as if that's true right now. You're the God of the living. We're all alive in your eyes. And I pray, God, we could change our minds, change our hearts, and change our ways to be more conformed to you and to your mind, and to your ways. So God, I pray, release over us from the boundaries that we've established. Release over us from the limitations that we've put on ourselves. Release over us from the limitations we put on our mind, we put on our vision, we put on our hearing, we put on all those things, all those limitations. I pray, release in the name of Jesus. And I ask God that we would begin to live in and experience the mingling of those worlds as you've intended. I just want to say thanks. Thanks for opening up that kind of a door for us. Thanks for making it possible. Thanks for showing us what life is. Thanks for showing us what love is. Thanks for showing us what real grace is. Thank you for showing us, God, what it means to to live forever. Thank you for showing us what it means to live as a spiritual man or a spiritual woman. Thanks. Thank you. I pray that you would continue opening our eyes. You continue opening our ears and our hearts, our minds, our spirits. 
continue opening this up to more and more of what it is to live in you. Thanks. Yeah, we give you thanks tonight. Give us a little shake in our stubborn ways. Give us a little shake in our established ways of seeing things. Yeah. Probably we can see some stuff different. We'll give you thanks tonight. I pray for some encounters this week, God, as we open ourselves up to you. Yeah. Ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless you guys. Thanks for coming. UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. You know, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool. You're mm-hmm. super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways. So musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community, like the community that. Yeah, see, there's a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997. That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As an outgrowth of chaplaincy of Syracuse University, UCF continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know, that's our hood. Mm-hmm. So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, we, we homies. You know, yeah.